1: for your morning. All the news you need to know. It's the WABC Early News on 77 WABC. Now, here's Juliette Huddy and Frank Morano.
2: 77 WABC Early News. Hi,
3: I'm Frank Diaz.
2: And I'm Jacqueline Carl. We're in for Frank and Morano and Juliette Huddy, so let's get
3: to it.
1: This, this is the Top 5 at 5.
3: Well, President Joe Biden Wednesday revealed he threatened Vladimir Putin with, quote, economic consequences like none he's ever seen if the Russian president invades the Ukraine. He ruled out putting U.S. boots on the ground in the Ukraine, saying that it's not in the cards right now, but did hint that the U.S. would shore up its military presence in NATO countries and help the defensive capabilities of the Ukraine.
4: He got the message and knows this is different. I am absolutely confident he got the message.
3: Biden said he was absolutely confident that Putin got the message and added that the administration hopes to announce by Friday a series of follow-up meetings among high-level staff of the two countries.
2: Philadelphia shattered its 30-year record for annual murders, surpassing the much larger cities of New York and L.A. as a dozen major cities post all-time records for homicides, all of them with Democratic mayors. As of December 6, Phillies recorded 521 homicides for the year, surpassing New York's 443 and L.A.'s 352. This despite the fact that the city of brotherly love is less than half the size of L.A. and one-fifth of New York. Even though Philly's blown past the prior record of 500 murders set in 1990, the city's district attorney, Larry Krasner, a champion of bail and police reform, insists there's no crime wave. The president of Philly's fraternal order of police slammed Krasner on Fox News yesterday.
5: I, I mean, I'm glad that now people are starting to hold him accountable uh, because he's been getting a free ride for the last couple of years. He blames everybody but his own, his own self. Uh, just this year in his office, people that he hired, When he took over, he's lost 130 employees in that office uh, just since last January. Um, A couple years ago, he was blaming Trump for all the problems. Uh, Last year was the pandemic and COVID. Now it's the media. Um, He just does everything in his possible power to uh, to let people out of jail, to cut sweetheart deals at the bar to court. And now the city's suffering. He's ignorant, he's arrogant, and uh, he's just been doing what he wants to do. And now I'm glad that people are starting to wake up and starting to call him out.
2: Krasner said the true crisis is gun violence, arguing that better education and health care services would reduce violent crime.
3: Clinton has for the first time revealed the victory speech she would have given if she had won in 2016 and admitted she did not even bother to write a concession speech. Democrats were blindsided by former President Trump's win that year, and Clinton spent much of the time blaming Russian interference for her loss.
0: I'm going to share with you what I intended to say if I had been elected in 2016. My fellow Americans... Today, you sent a message to the whole world. So I've never read it before.
3: The former nominee, who earlier this year boldly declared she would, quote, never get out of the game of politics, proves she has not gotten over her loss as she shared the speech with MSNBC with NBC's new masterclass streaming platform, which features lessons from luminaries from all walks of life. On October on November 13th, 2016, Clinton's public concession occurred more than nine hours after the results of the election were known. Her staff at the time never replied to queries about why she didn't come out Tuesday night when supporters were already gathered. For an election watch party. Clinton expressed disappointment when she finally addressed the loss to a crowd of supporters from a New York City hotel. The former Secretary of State, Senator, and First Lady talked in her would be victory speech about what it would have meant to be the first woman president.
2: Tiger Woods will soon be back in action. The 45-year-old golfer revealed Wednesday he'll participate in the PNC Championship next weekend in Orlando, Florida, with his 12-year-old son, Charlie. This will be his first golf tournament since nearly losing his leg in a car crash on February 23rd in California. Woods tweeted, Although it's been a long and challenging year, I'm very excited to close it out by competing in the PNC Championship with my son, Charlie. I'm playing as a dad and couldn't be more excited and proud. In a press conference last month, Wood said he was thankful to be alive.
6: I'm lucky to be alive, but also still had the limb. Um, that those are two crucial things, you know. Um, so I'm I'm very very grateful that uh, someone upstairs was was taking care of me. That uh, I'm able to not only be here, but also to walk without a prosthesis. Daniel, uh, how realistic was? amputation as an option what's that how realistic was amputation like was that really yeah it was on the table
2: the pnc championship features golf champions teaming with family members the two round event will begin on december 18th and is preceded by a two-day pro-am tournament on thursday and friday it's not clear if woods will participate in that
3: well financial blog is saying a family of four would need to We'd need a combined income of three hundred thousand dollars a year to live a comfortably middle class life in big coastal cities like New York, San Francisco, and Miami, which would include saving for retirement and owning a home. According to fa- to Financial Samurai, the six figure salary is a far cry from the median U.S. income of sixty seven thousand five hundred twenty one dollars a year. But it's what two parents would need to afford a decent lifestyle in cities where home prices are far above average. Average home prices are one point five million dollars. In San Francisco and seven hundred and thirty three thousand in New York City, according to Zillow, far above the current U.S. median home price of four hundred and four seven hundred thousand dollars. President Biden in his speech earlier this month said he understood the financial hardships families are having in recent times. The highest expense in the mor- is the mortgage coming in at forty six thousand nine hundred based on a thirty-nine thousand thirty nine hundred a month for nine hundred thousand dollar mortgage. Jacqueline Carl Weather. Is it still going to be cold cuz I'm tired of wearing jackets?
2: I'm sorry to say, it starts out mostly sunny, but then the clouds roll in today. It the highs will be in the low 40s, but with the wind chill, it will feel a lot colder, so definitely bundle up. Tonight mostly cloudy, lows in the mid 30s. Friday, again mostly cloudy, highs in the upper 40s. WABC News Time 508.
3: Jacqueline Carl, thank you very much. Here's some more news for you. Three senior White House officials have embarked on a campaign to persuade newsroom executives to be more favorable in their coverage of President Biden, according to a report from Tuesday. CNN's Oliver Darcy said that the trio of officials have been briefing major newsrooms over the past week. Darcy, in a newsletter, said that their outreach was sparked by concern that Biden was not being treated fairly. The Washington Post on December 3rd published an op-ed by columnist Dana Milbank entitled, The Media Treats Biden As Badly As or Worse Than Trump. Milbank appeared on CNN to argue that Biden was being treated unfairly.
1: What's actually interesting is you would think that under Biden, there'd be a corresponding effect that sort of the left wing media would be very favorable to Biden. But it doesn't actually happen. The left wing media is tough on him. He's too progressive. He's not progressive enough. Uh, So the effect is he has uh, no real support from the equivalents of the Breitbart on the left to the extent there are. Uh, equivalence there, so uh, you know, if if anything, it uh, exaggerates the effect. But you know, the bulk of these are mainstream uh, newspapers, uh, media websites. Uh, so I, I think it does give. You know, it's not uh, foolproof, but it gives a pretty good number, and we never had such a number before. But now we can study these things.
3: Melbank's article was greeted with approval from the highest levels in the White House.
2: Senator Joe Manchin warned he'll delay President Biden's Build Back Better spending plan and vote to axe the private sector vaccine mandate. Manchin told the Wall Street Journal he hasn't made a decision whether or not he'll vote for the proposed spending bill, saying his concerns flooding the markets with more money could further worsen inflation, which hit a 31-year high of over 6 percent in October. Discussing his opposition to Build Back Better, Manchin mentioned an op-ed he wrote in September arguing Democrats should pause on trying to push the bill over inflation concerns.
7: We had people at that time saying inflation will be transitory. We had 17 Nobel laureates saying it's going to be no problem. Well, 17 Nobel laureates were wrong. And now the feds are even saying it's not transitory and they're hoping it'll reduce. uh, And we don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But the bottom line is... I was concerned then, and I said, let's take a strategic pause. I put an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal for that reason, and I thought long and hard about that. My reason for saying that, and I still feel strongly about that, is the unknown we're facing today is much greater uh, than the need that people believe in this uh, aspirational bill that we're looking at. And we've got to make sure we get this right. We just can't continue to flood the market as we've done.
2: Manchin has previously said he's opposed to including paid leave policies in the bill, as well as provisions that would encourage companies to transition to clean energy, which has since been dropped. Manchin was also critical of both parties for attempting to use budget reconciliation to try and pass governing priorities.
3: Well, a new survey shows that Vice President Kamala Harris's approval rating is continuing to plummet following the departure of two key members of her staff amid renewed scrutiny of her management style. A Rasmussen Report's poll found that just 39% of likely voters have a favorable impression of Harris, while 57% have an unfavorable view of the Veep. Harris is uh, further underwater among those who have strong views of her, while 19% of likely voters say they have a, quote, very favorable opinion of the vice president. <laughs> Around half of all respondents... And say they have a, quote, very unfavorable impression. The grim numbers come after Chief Harris spokeswoman Simone Sanders became the latest top staffer in the Vice President's office to announce their departure, joining Director of Press Operations, Peter Vells, and Deputy Director of Public Engagement, Vince Evans. Harris's communications director. Ashley Etienne kickstarted the exodus last month, days after the publication of a CNN report that described the professional relationship between Harris and President Biden as a, quote, exhausted stalemate and quoted Harris allies suggesting that she wasn't receiving proper support from the West Wing.
2: Roger Stone informed the House committee investigating January 6th he'll plead the Fifth Amendment and will not offer deposition or turnover documents. Stone, a longtime Trump confidant, announced he would not cooperate late Tuesday after former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows did the same.
4: If you want to know what happened on January 6th, call the Capitol Hill police officers and let Jim Jordan question them. Mm. That's how you'd find out what really happened. Or call the FBI director uh, and let Matt Gates uh, question him. That's how you'd find out what would really happen. But this this is a this is a charade, and everyone knows it. it. Just call it Witch Hunt 3.0.
2: Former Trump lawyer John Eastman and former DOJ official Jeffrey Clark have also refused to cooperate, as has Steve Bannon. Bannon, Meadows, and Clark now all face contempt charges. Last month, the committee subpoenaed Stone, along with the conspiracy theorist Alex Jones, as it probes people who helped or had knowledge of the planning and financing of the Stop the Steal rally that preceded the riot.
3: Well, Black Lives Matter is backing Jesse Smollett, who is on trial for allegedly staging a hate crime attack because, quote, we can never believe the police, said a founder of the movement. Melina Abdullah, director of BLM Grassroots and co-founder of BLM Los Angeles, put out a statement on Tuesday that reads, as abolitionists, we approach situations of injustice with love and align ourselves with our community. And our commitment to abolition, we can never believe police. Especially the Chicago Police Department over Jesse Smollett, a black man who has been courageously present, visible, and vocal in the struggle for black freedom. The statement concluded, Smollett, who was charged with six felony counts of disorderly conduct, claims that two men yelled anti-gay racist remarks and hit him in Chicago of January 2019. Prosecutors in the case have said that the 39-year-old actor planned the ruse to get attention, a claim Smollett has repeatedly denied. Jurors in the case began deliberating on Wednesday and are set to resume on Thursday morning.
2: Tourists were sent scrambling to for cover Tuesday after five gunmen dressed like soldiers arrived on jet skis at a beach just steps away from a family-friendly Mexican resort in Cancun and open fire. The chief of police said the coastal state of Quintana Roo said the, the attackers pulled up to the beach outside the four-star Oasis Palm Hotel on jet skis and started shooting in Cancun's hotel zone Tuesday. The state attorney general revealed there were five suspects who fired shots into the air without aiming their weapons at anyone.
3: All right, well, uh, I'm going to throw the football through the window right now and uh, send it to Matt Sapienza for your sports. <laughs> and it hit me in the head like a rocket. Oh, Here's sorry. what's going
8: on in the world of sports. We start in the NBA. Eric Gordon hit, scored 21 points before being ejected in the fourth quarter, and Garrison Matthews added 19 as the Houston Rockets extended their winning streak to seven games with a 114-104 victory over the shorthanded Brooklyn Nets Wednesday night. Before the streak, the Rockets dropped their previous 15 games, it's the first time that Houston has won seven straight since winning eight in a row in November of 2019. In Hoosierville, Chris Duarte scored 23 points. Miles Turner had 22, and the Indiana Pacers beat the Knicks 122 to 102 Wednesday night also. Duarte, a rookie shooting guard, eclipsed his 13.1 score. Scoring average um, with 14 in the first quarter, when the Pacers seized control with a 15 to 2 run. Indiana outscored New York in each of the first three quarters to lead 96 to 76, and maintained a double digit lead from midway through the second quarter until the final buzzer. And quickly to the NHL, the last thing the reeling Philadelphia Flyers needed was that having to play against goaltender Mackenzie Blackwood of the New Jersey Devils. Well, the the Devils um. Law, the Devils won rather of uh, three zip last night, and Logan O'Connor scored twice in a twenty-second, twenty-two-second uh, span of five-goal second period. And the Colorado Avalanche beat the Rangers seven to three, into ending New York's win- seven-game winning streak. And that's your sports at fifteen and forty-five. Matt Zapianza here, and that is your WABC Sports.
3: Matt Sapienza, thanks. I think Sid Rosenberg was a little pissed that you, you weren't. he wasn't doing it because he was pacing outside the door just now. Jacqueline Carl's back with weather. I what's have. going on outside?
2: Well, it starts out mostly sunny this morning, but then the clouds roll in today. Highs in the low 40s. With the wind chill, it's going to feel a lot colder. So bundle them up tonight. Mostly cloudy. Lows in the mid-30s. Friday, mostly cloudy. Highs in the upper 40s. WABC Newstime is 518.
3: You know what's sad? It's going to be dark when I leave and come back in the next uh, 12 hours or however long it is it's like but batman yeah, welcome exactly. to my life i know i know all right i hear we've got some uh, st- is there another story about a different flavor of m- uh, microchips in my head
2: no no i'm not doing that today in an effort to unionize starbucks stores though it's facing its first major test the national labor relations board will continue ballots today from union elections held at three separate starbucks stores in the buffalo new york area That's around 111 Starbucks workers from three stores that are eligible to vote. It's in its 50th year history, Starbucks, and it's never had to unionize its U.S. stores. The coffee giant has fought off previous attempts. The company says its stores function best when it works directly with employees, but union backers say they want more input in store operations and pay. Major stocks made it through a rough day of trading, closing higher for a third day in a row. The S&P rose 14 points, gaining back its losses for the last two weeks. The Nasdaq up by 100 points, and the Dow gained 35 points. Travel-related companies made headway, indicating investors are optimistic the industry will continue to recover despite early concerns about Omicron.
3: A very lovely co-host, Jacqueline Carl. Thank you very much. Now, to some uh, stories from around the block. Mayor-elect Eric Adams has shown Department of Education veteran David Banks, a longtime associate to be chancellor of the nation's largest school system, sources tell The Post that Adams will make the announcement uh this morning at ps 161 in brooklyn's crown heights neighborhood banks began his ascent during the bloomberg administration and is best known for founding several city public schools including a network that primarily educates boys of color
9: it's a real challenge yeah. to grow you know grow up as a, as a young man in the inner city and so they come to a place where you know we tell them we see you you know it wasn't easy to figure out how to create A a school that would really meet the needs of black and brown boys where we realize that so many of them are facing so many difficult challenges, trauma in their lives, um, gangs in the neighborhood, confrontations with the police. But we have beat the odds. But unfortunately, our school system treats everybody like it's a one size that fits all. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't work.
3: Queens native pivoted from a legal career and served as a principal before launching uh, the Bronx School for Law, Government and Justice in 2004, where he worked with current DOE Chancellor Maisha Porter. He later established the first Eagle Academy for Young Men in the Bronx in 2004, an all-boys school that later expanded to a network of six campuses by 2014.
2: The arsonist arrested for setting fire to the Fox News 50-foot Christmas tree was freed after his arraignment last night because of the city's lenient bail reforms. The man who set the fire, described as homeless and emotionally disturbed, faces six misdemeanor charges for torching the tree. And under the 2020 criminal justice reforms, judges are advised to release the accused. NYPD Commissioner Dermot Shea said there wasn't a clear motive for the act.
10: Well, the motive I, I don't think is clear at this point. Um, it, it's an individual that's known to us. He has a A series of low-level arrests, some drug arrests. He he was issued some earlier this year, some appearance tickets and didn't come back to court, which unfortunately is something we see all too often. He also has some low-level arrests in uh, out-of-state. I believe it's Texas.
2: Arson is only constituted as a felony in New York if the perpetrator harms or attempts to harm a person or if the act is considered a hate crime. In order for a judge to set bail, the arsonist would have had to have been charged with at least third-degree arson constituting a hate crime.
3: Well, the New York Post has learned that embattled SUNY Chancellor James Malatris's days appeared numbered as more than 30 assembly members signed onto a letter calling for his resignation or firing. The draft letter being circulated will be sent to the State University of New York's Board of Trustees. The groundswell calling for Malatras' ouster for smearing one of disgraced ex-Governor Andrew Cuomo's sexual harassment accusers comes just days after Governor Kathy Hulk refused to say he should resign.
0: We need a leader of the SUNY institution. I'm going to be making an overhaul of the SUNY system part of my state of the state. We have very bold plans that I want to see executed, and I want to see them continue. And in speaking uh, through my administration to a number of trustees, continuity at this time is important, so I understand their rationale for wanting to not ask him to take steps. However, we have to make sure that there is a, a culture where this behavior is not acceptable, and those continue, those conversations continue.
3: Thirty-one Assembly Democratic members signed the letter as of Wednesday afternoon. Malatras has been criticized recently for alleged retaliation against Lindsay Boylan, the first woman to publicly air harassment claims against Cuomo last December, as well as other hostile acts in the administration's workplace.
2: Speaking of Cuomo, the MTA Inspector General's office is saying anti-crime and homelessness initiatives pushed by the disgraced ex-governor in 2019 and 2020 compounded overtime spending the compounded overtime spending at the MTA's in-house police force. Cuomo's push to involve MTA cops in combating homelessness, crime and fare evasion resulted in over 19 million in unbudgeted unplanned overtime spending over the two-year period. Inspector General Carol Carolyn Pokorny said in a new report. Overall, overtime spending at the MTA Police Department grew by 21% from 2018 to 2020 to over $31 outpacing an 11% growth in officer headcount. In 2019, Cuomo promised to crack down on fare evasion, crime, and homelessness on the subways and deployed MTA police to get the job done. Picorni added MTA officials began the process of hiring 500 new cops in mid-2020, but the hiring spree has barely made a dent in overtime because of officer retirements.
3: Well, the Reverend Al Sharpton says he plans on protesting Mayor Bill de Blasio's legalized drug injection site in Harlem, charging that city officials are treating the predominantly black neighborhood as a dumping ground for addicted, homeless, and mentally ill New Yorkers. Last week, de Blasio heralded the, the opening of the New York Harm Reduction Educators on East 126th Street, another public drug den in Washington Heights, as a, quote, safe, effective way to address the opioid crisis. Staff at the sites are trained to reverse overdoses and provide drug services to users sam rivera the executive director of on point new york city praised de blasio's move
11: today has been an amazing day it's been a historic day it's been a day of love and supporting some of the most beautiful people in this world who have not been treated that way we're humanizing an approach we're following what our our people have done throughout this world Uh, like them we will do everything possible to make sure our folks stay alive uh, it's, again, it's been an amazing day. People have been here. People have shown respect to what we're doing. We want to maintain that. It's work that comes from the soul and the heart. So our goal is when someone shows up, they have access to many, many options they wouldn't have in the street and, and then can get connected to care and other, uh, services that, uh, that are life changing.
3: But the protesters say the Harlem site, which, as The Post reported, is near a daycare, will draw 6,000 drug addicts a year to a neighborhood that is overburdened with social service providers. Saturday's protests will circle two blocks around the clinic that also includes the city's largest methadone treatment center, the M35 bus stop that drops off residents of the homeless shelters on Wards Island and Boulevard, and a homeless shelter for men with mental illness.
2: The city council set to overwhelmingly approve Mayor de Blasio's push to use zoning as a racial justice tool in two of the Big Apple's poshest neighborhoods, Soho and Noho. The move would allow de Blasio to sign the measure into law before he and most of the council members who would approve it leave office at the end of the month, allowing a slew of housing developments in a district that just voted in a new representative who's opposed the plan.
10: In Soho, Noho, you're talking about uh, an area that has very little affordable housing. We have an opportunity here to create affordable housing, uh, to bring to an area that has been upper income, a greater mix of New Yorkers, and to create more balance, which is something I believe in fundamentally. So this is rezoning that's been proposed to really create substantial community benefit. And there's a lot of support on the ground for the idea that there needs to be affordable housing in every community, including those that are upper income. They also need to have affordable housing in those communities, and that's what this will achieve.
2: Final approvals expected during the very last meeting of this city council next week. Most of its members are set to depart under the city's term limits law. It would mark the latest in a string of efforts by de Blasio to pack the city with controversial measures before he leaves office.
3: All right. Jacqueline Carl is here with uh, our weather because uh, I really don't want it to snow. Now, we're going
2: to start out mostly sunny today, but then the clouds roll in. Highs will be in the low 40s, but with the wind chill, it'll feel a lot colder. So bundle up tonight, mostly cloudy. Lows in the mid-30s. Friday, mostly cloudy again. Highs in the upper 40s. WABC Newstime, 528.
3: Jacqueline Carl, thank you. Coming up in just uh, about a minute and a half. I are top five at 530. We'll be right back.
5: Entertaining and informative. It's the WABC
1: Early News on 77 WABC. Now, here's Juliet
3: Huddy and Frank Morano.
2: Good morning, everyone, and welcome to 77 WABC Early News.
3: I'm Frank Diaz.
2: And I'm Jacqueline Carl. We're in for Frank Morano and Juliet Huddy.
3: All right, well, President Joe Biden Wednesday revealed that he threatened Vladimir Putin with, quote, economic consequences like none he's ever seen if the Russian president invades the Ukraine. He ruled out putting U.S. boots on the ground in the Ukraine, saying that it's not in the cards right now, but he did hint that the U.S. would shore up its military presence in NATO countries and help the defensive capabilities of the Ukraine.
4: He got the message and knows this is different. I am absolutely confident he got the message.
3: Biden added that the administration hopes to announce by Friday a series of follow-up meetings among high-level staff of the two countries.
2: Philadelphia shattered its 30-year record for annual murders, surpassing the much larger cities of New York and L.A. as a dozen major cities post all-time records for homicides, all of them with Democratic mayors. As of December 6th, Philly's recorded 521 homicides for the year, surpassing New York's 443 and L.A. at 352. This despite the fact that the city of brotherly love is less than half the size of L.A. and one-fifth of New York. Now, even though Philly's blown past the prior record of 500 murders, Set in 1990, the city's district attorney, Larry Krasner, a champion of bail and police reform, insists that there is no crime wave. The president of Philly's Fraternal Order of Police slammed Krasner on Fox News yesterday.
5: I, I mean, I'm glad that now people are starting to hold him accountable uh, because he's been getting a free ride for the last couple of years. He blames everybody but his own his own self. Uh, just this year in his office, people that he hired when he took over, he's lost 130 employees in that office. Uh, just since last January, um, a couple years ago, he was blaming Trump for all the problems. Uh, last year was the pandemic and COVID. Now it's the media. Um, he just does everything in his possible power to, uh, to let people out of jail, to cut sweetheart deals at the bar to court. And now the city's suffering, he's ignorant, he's arrogant, and uh, he's just been doing what he wants to do. And now I'm glad that people are starting to wake up and starting to call him out.
2: Krasner said the true crisis is gun violence, arguing that better education and health care services would reduce violent crime.
3: Well, Hillary Clinton, as for the first time, revealed the victory speech she would have given if she had won the presidential election in 2016 and admitted she didn't even bother to write a concession speech. Democrats are blindsided by former President Trump's win that year, and Clinton spent much of the time blaming Russian interference for her loss.
0: I'm going to share with you what I intended to say if I had been elected in 2016. My fellow Americans, today you sent a message to the whole world. That's why I've never read it before.
3: The former nominee, who earlier this year boldly declared she would never get out of the game of politics, proves she has not gone over her loss as she shared the speech with with NBC's new Masterclass streaming platform, which features lessons from luminaries from all walks of life. On November 13, 2016, Clinton's public concession occurred more than nine hours after the results of the election were known. Her staff at the time never replied to queries about why she didn't come out Tuesday night when supporters were already gathered for an election watch party. Clinton expressed disappointment when she finally addressed the loss to a crowd of supporters from a New York City hotel. The former Secretary of State, Senator, and First Lady talked in her would-be victory speech about what it would have meant to be the first woman president.
2: Tiger Woods will soon be back in action. The 45-year-old golfer revealed Wednesday he'll participate in the PNC Championship next weekend in Orlando, Florida with his 12-year-old son, Charlie. This will be his first golf tournament since nearly losing his leg in a car crash on February 23rd in California. Woods tweeted, Although it's been a long and challenging year, I am very excited to close it out by competing in the PNC Championship with my son, Charlie. I'm playing as a dad and couldn't be more excited and proud. In a press conference last month, Woods said that he was thankful to be alive.
6: I'm lucky to be alive, but also still have the limb. Um, that, those are two crucial things, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm very, very grateful that uh, someone upstairs was, was taking care of me, that uh, I'm able to not only be here, but also to walk without a prosthesis. Daniel, uh, how realistic was amputation as an option? What's that? How realistic was amputation? Like, was that really Yeah, it was on the table.
2: The PNC Championship features golf champions teaming with family members. The two-round event will begin on December 18th and is preceded by a two-day Pro-Am tournament on Thursday and Friday. It's not clear if Woods will participate in that.
3: Well, a financial blog is saying a family of four would need a combined income of $300,000 a year to live a comfortably middle-class life in a big coastal city like New York, San Francisco, or Miami, which would include saving for retirement and owning a home. According to Financial Samurai, the six-figure salary is a far cry from the median U.S. income of $67,521 a year. But it's what two parents would need to afford a decent lifestyle in cities where home prices are far above average. Average home prices are $1.5 million in San Francisco and 733000 in New York City, according to Zillow. Far above the current U.S. median home price of four seven hundred thousand dollars President Biden in a speech earlier this month said he understood the financial hardships families are having in recent times. As we recover
4: from this crisis, now is the moment to put in place the long-term plan to build back America better. A plan that will increase opportunities with better jobs and with higher wages. A plan that will lower the everyday costs that strain our budgets and our nation's families today and long into the future.
3: The highest expense is the mortgage coming in at $46,900 based on $3,900 a month for a $900,000 mortgage.
2: Olaf Scholz became the first new German chancellor in 16 years on Wednesday, succeeding Angela Merkel. The AP reports that Scholz, who's from the nation's Social Democratic Party, was formally appointed by the nation's president and won a majority of 395 votes in the lower house of parliament. Now, the former vice chancellor and the finance minister is leading a three-party coalition between the Social Democrats and the environmentalist Greens and Free Democrats. The AP noted that Schultz omitted the phrase, so help me God when taking the oath for office, since he doesn't have a religious affiliation. The new chancellor faces some major challenges going into his tenure, one being the COVID pandemic.
3: Jacqueline Carl, weather. Let me know how it is. Okay.
2: Well, it starts out mostly sunny, but then the clouds roll in. Highs are in the low 40s. With the wind chill, it's going to feel a lot colder. So bundle up tonight, mostly cloudy. Lows in the mid-30s. Friday, mostly cloudy again. Highs in the upper 40s. WABC Newstime, 538.
3: Jacqueline Carl, thank you very much. Well, three senior White House officials have embarked on a campaign to persuade newsroom executives to be more favorable of their coverage of President Biden, according to a report from Tuesday. CNN's Oliver Darcy says that the trio of f- officials have been briefing major newsrooms over the past week. Darcy in his newsletter said that the outreach was sparked by concern that Biden was not being treated fairly. The Washington Post on December 3rd published an op-ed by columnist Data Milbank entitled The Media Treatment. Biden as badly as or worse than Trump. Milbank appeared on CNN to argue his position.
1: What's actually interesting is you would think that under Biden there'd be a corresponding effect that sort of the left wing media would be very favorable to Biden, but it doesn't actually happen. The left wing media is tough on him. He's too progressive. He's not progressive enough. Uh, So the effect is he has uh, no real support from the equivalents of the Breitbart on the left to the extent there are. Uh, equivalence there, So, uh, you know, if, if anything, it uh, exaggerates the effect. But, you know, the bulk of these are mainstream uh, newspapers, uh, media websites. Uh, so I, I think it does give, you know, it's not uh, foolproof, but it gives a pretty good number. And we never had such a number before. But now we can study these things.
3: MoBank's article was greeted with approval from the highest levels in the White House.
2: Senator Joe Manchin warned he'll delay President Biden's Build Back Better spending plan and vote to axe the private sector vaccine mandate. Manchin told the Wall Street Journal he hasn't made a decision whether or not he'll vote for the proposed spending bill, saying his concerns flooding the markets with more money could further worsen inflation, which hit a 31-year high of over 6 percent in October. Discussing his opposition to Build Back Better, Manchin mentioned an op-ed he wrote in September arguing Democrats should pause on trying to push the bill over inflation concerns.
7: We had people at that time saying inflation will be transitory. We had 17 Nobel laureates saying it's going to be no problem. Well, 17 Nobel laureates were wrong. And now the feds are even saying it's not transitory and they're hoping it'll reduce. uh, And we don't know. We'll have to wait and see. But the bottom line is I was concerned then. And I said, let's take a strategic pause. I put an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal for that reason. And I thought long and hard about that. My reason for saying that, and I still feel strongly about that, is the unknown we're facing today is much greater uh, than the need that people believe in this uh, aspirational bill that we're looking at. And we've got to make sure we get this right. We just can't continue to flood the market as we've done.
2: Manchin has previously said he's opposed to including paid leave policies in the bill, as well as provisions that would encourage companies to transition to clean energy, which has since been dropped. Manchin was also critical of both parties for attempting to use budget reconciliation to try and pass governing priorities.
3: Well, a new survey shows that Vice President Kamala Harris's approval rating is continuing to plummet following the departure of two key members of her staff amid renewed scrutiny of her management style. A Rasmussen Reports poll found that just 39% of likely voters have a favorable impression of Harris, while 57% have an unfavorable view. Harris is further underwater among those who have strong views of her. While nineteen percent of likely voters say they have a very favorable opinion of the Vice President, fully half of all respondents say that they have a very unfavorable impression. The grim numbers come after Chief Harris spokeswoman Simone Sanders became the latest top staffer in the VP's office to announce their departure, joining Director of Press Operations, Peter Vells, and Deputy Director of Public Engagement, Vince Evans. Harris's communications director, Ashley Etienne, kickstarted the exodus last month, days after the publication of a CNN report that described the professional relationship between Harris and President Biden as an exhausted stalemate and quoted Harris allies suggesting that she wasn't receiving proper support from the West Wing.
2: Roger Stone informed the House committee investigating January 6th he'll plead the Fifth Amendment and will not offer deposition or turnover documents. Stone, a longtime Trump confidant, denounced that he would not cooperate late, late Tuesday after former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows did the same.
4: If you want to know what happened on January 6th, call the Capitol Hill police officers and let Jim Jordan question them. Mm. That's how you'd find out what really happened. Or call the FBI director uh, and let Matt Gates uh, question him. That's how you'd find out what would really happen. But this, this is a, this is a charade and everyone knows it. It, Just call it Witch Hunt 3.0.
2: Former Trump lawyer John Eastman and former DOJ, DOJ official Jeffrey Clark have also refused to cooperate, as has Steve Bannon. Bannon, Meadows and Clark now all face contempt charges. Last month, the committee subpoenaed Stone along with conspiracy theorist Alex Jones as it probes people who helped or had knowledge of the planning and financing of the Stop the Seal rally that preceded the riot.
3: Well, black Lives Matter is backing Jesse Smollett, who's on trial for allegedly staging a hate crime attack because quote, we can never believe the police, a founder of the movement said in a statement. Melina Abdullah, director of BLM Grassroots and a co-founder of BLM Los Angeles, put out a statement Tuesday that reads, as abolitionists we approach situations of injustice with love and align ourselves with our community. In our commitment to abolition, we can never believe police, especially the Chicago Police Department over Jesse Smollett, a black man who has been courageously present visible and vocal in the struggle for black freedom smollett who was charged with six felony counts of disorderly conduct claims that two men yelled anti-gay racist remarks and hit him in chicago in january 2019 prosecutors in the case have said that the 39 year old actor planned the ruse to get attention a claim smollett has repeatedly denied jurors in the case began deliberating on wednesday and are set to resume thursday morning
2: Tourists were sent scrambling for cover Tuesday after five gunmen dressed like soldiers arrived on jet skis at a beach just steps away from a family-friendly Mexican resort in Cancun and opened fire. The chief of police of the coastal state of Quintana Roo said the attackers pulled up to the beach outside the four-star Oasis Palm Hotel on jet skis and started shooting in Cancun's hotel zone Tuesday. The state attorney general revealed there were five suspects who fired shots into the air without aiming their weapons at anyone. On Wednesday, the U.S. Department of State issued an advisory urging Americans to exercise extreme caution when traveling to Cantona State, which is home to Cancun, citing high levels of COVID-19 and crime. The violence is just the latest in a string of drug, gang, and cartel-related incidents that have spilled out into popular tourist spots where innocent travelers are caught in the crosshairs.
3: This is why a good idea of vacation is just me in my backyard on a good summer day. Matt Sapienza, Sports Report, what's going on? All right, here's what's going on in the wide world of sports. We start in the NBA. Eric Gordon scored 21
8: points before being ejected in the fourth quarter, and Garrison Matthews added 19 as the Houston Rockets extended their winning streak to seven games with a 114-104 to victory over the shorthanded Brooklyn Nets last night. Before the streak... Uh, The Rockets dropped their previous 15 games. It's the first time that Houston has won seven straight since winning eight in a row in November of 2019. Now over in Hoosierville... Bad luck for the Knicks also Chris Duarte also scored t- 23 points. Miles Turner had 22 and the Indiana Pacers beat the Knicks 122 to 102. Duarte, a rookie shooting guard, eclipsed his 13.1 scoring a- 13.1 point scoring average with a 14 in the first quarter. When the Pacers seized control with a 15-2 run, Indiana outscored New York in each of the first three quarters to lead 96-76 to and maintained a double-digit lead from midway through the second quarter until the final buzzer. And quickly to the NHL. The last thing the reeling Philadelphia Flyers needed was having to play against goaltender Mackenzie Blackwood of the New Jersey Devils. Blackwood made 25 saves, and the Devils snapped a four-game skid and sent the Flyers to their 10th straight loss. Three-zip. Wednesday night, and Logan O'Connor scored twice in a 22 second span in a five goal second period, and the Colorado Avalanche beat the Rangers seven to three, ending New York's seven game winning streak. And that's your sports at 15 and 45. I'm Matt
3: Sapienza, and that's WABC Sports. You're gonna throw the ball back this way, and the glass is gonna like reform. The, like, the glass gonna is go. gonna magically it's gonna go, uh, reform. It's gonna go back in time. See, it Let's has one of those chips movies. from yesterday. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Uh, Jacqueline yeah. Carl, tell me about the uh, the rain and the snow and the sky and okay. the sea and everything outside. Weather.
2: <laughs> okay. Well, mostly sunny to start out, but then clouds roll in. We've got highs in the low 40s. With the wind chill, though, it's going to feel a lot colder, so you want to dress warm. Tonight, mostly cloudy, lows in the mid-30s. Friday, mostly cloudy again, highs in the upper 40s. WABC Newstime, Time, 548.
3: Jacqueline Carl, thank you very much. I hear you also have uh, something about Starbucks and unions and no microchips today. Thank God. I knew the
2: coffee story would get your Yeah, attention yeah, yeah. Great. At this time of the morning. In an effort to unionize Starbucks stores facing its first major test, the National Labor Relations Board will count ballots today from union elections held at three separate Starbucks stores in the Buffalo, New York area. Around 111 Starbucks workers from the three stores were eligible to vote. In its 50th year history, Starbucks has never had unionized U.S. stores. The coffee giant has fought off previous attempts. The company says its stores function best when it works directly with employees. But union backers say they want more input in store operations and pay. Figure stocks made it through a rough day of trading, closing higher for a third day in a row. The S&P rose 14 points, gaining back its losses for the last two weeks. The Nasdaq up by 100 points and the Dow gained 35 points. Travel-related companies made headway, indicating investors are optimistic the industry will continue to recover despite early concerns about Omicron.
3: Jacqueline Carl, thank you. Now to some stories in our city, New York. Mayor-elect Eric Adams has chosen Department of Education veteran David Banks as a longtime associate to be chancellor of the nation's largest school system. Sources tell the New York Post that Adams will make the announcement this morning at PS 161 in Brooklyn's Crown Heights neighborhood. Banks began his ascent during the Bloomberg administration and is best known for founding several city public schools, including a network that primarily educates boys of color.
9: It's a real challenge. Yeah. to grow you know, grow up as a, as a young man in the inner city. And so they come to a place where, you know, we tell them we see you. You know, it wasn't easy to figure out how to create a, a school that would really meet the needs of black and brown boys where we re- realize that so many of them are facing so many difficult challenges, trauma in their lives, um, gangs in the neighborhood, confrontations with the police. But we have beat the odds. But unfortunately, our school system treats everybody like it's a one size that fits all. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't work.
3: The Queens native pivoted from a legal career and served as a principal before launching the Bronx School for Law, Government and Justice in 2004, where he worked with current DOE Chancellor Maisha Porter. He later established the First Eagle Academy for Young Men in the Bronx in 2004, an all-boys school mm-hmm. that later expanded to a network of six campuses by 2014.
2: The arsonist arrested for setting fire to the Fox News 50-foot Christmas tree was freed after his arraignment last night because of the city's lenient bail reforms. The man who set the fire, described as homeless and emotionally disturbed, faces six misdemeanor charges for torching the tree. And under the 2020 criminal justice reforms, judges are advised to release the accused. NYPD Commissioner Dermot Shea said there wasn't a clear motive for the act. Well, the
10: motive I, I don't think is clear at this point. Um, it, it's an individual that's known to us. He has a a series of low-level arrests, some drug arrests. He he was issued some earlier this year, some appearance tickets, and didn't come back to court, which unfortunately is something we see all too often. He also has some low-level arrests in uh, out-of-state. I believe it's Texas.
2: Arson is only constituted as a felony in New York if the perpetrator harms or attempts to harm a person or if the act is considered a hate crime. In order for a judge to set bail, the arsonist would have to have been charged with at least third-degree arson constituting a hate crime.
3: Well, the New York Post has learned that embattled SUNY Chancellor James Malatris' days appeared numbered as more than 30 Assembly members sign onto a letter calling for his resignation or firing. I think Sid Rosenberg liked that one. The draft letter being circulated will be sent to the State University of New York's Board of Trustees. The groundswell calling from Alatrace's ouster for smearing one of disgraced ex-governor Andrew Cuomo's sexual harassment accusers comes just days after Governor Kathy Hochul refused to say he should resign. We need a leader
0: of the SUNY institution. I'm going to be making an overhaul of the SUNY system part of my state of the state we have very bold plans that I want to see executed, and I want to see them continue. And in speaking uh, through my administration to a number of trustees, continuity at this time is important, so I understand their rationale for wanting to not ask him to take steps. However, we have to make sure that there is a, a culture where this behavior is not acceptable, and those, continue, those conversations continue.
3: 31 Assembly Democratic members signed the letter as of Wednesday afternoon. Malatras has been criticized recently for alleged retaliation against Lindsay Boylan, the first woman to publicly air harassment claims against Cuomo last December, as well as other hostile acts in the administration's workplace. Speaking
2: of Cuomo, the MTA Inspector General's Office is saying anti-crime and homelessness initiatives pushed by the disgraced ex-governor in 2019 and 2020 compounded overtime spending at the MTA's in-house police force. Cuomo's push to involve MTA cops in combating homelessness, crime, and fare evasion resulted in over 19 million in unbudgeted, unplanned overtime spending over the two-year period, Inspector General Carolyn Picorni said in a new report. Overall, overtime spending at the MTA police Department grew by 21 percent from 2018 to 2020 to over 31 million, outpacing an 11 percent growth in officer headcount. In 2019, Cuomo promised to crack down on fare evasion, crime and homelessness on the subways and deployed MTA police to get the job done. Picorny added MTA officials began the process of hiring 500 new cops in mid-2020, but the hiring spree has barely made a dent in overtime because of officer retirements.
3: Well, the Reverend Al Sharpton says he plans on protesting Mayor de Blasio's legalized drug injection site in Harlem, charging that city officials are treating the predominantly black neighborhood as a dumping ground for addicted, homeless, and mentally ill New Yorkers. Last week, de Blasio heralded the opening of the New York Harm Reduction Educators on East 126th Street and another public drug den in Washington Heights as a safe, effective way to address the opioid crisis. Staff at the sites are trained to reverse overdose. Doses and provide drug addiction services to users. Sam Rivera, executive director of On Point New York City, praised de Blasio's move. Today
11: has been an amazing day. It's been a historic day. It's been a day of love and supporting some of the most beautiful people in this world who have not been treating that way. We're humanizing an approach. We're following what our, what our people have done throughout this world. Uh, like them, we will do everything possible to make sure our folks stay alive. Uh, it's, again, it's been an amazing day. People have been here. People have shown respect to what we're doing. We want to maintain that. It's work that comes from the soul and the heart. So our goal is when someone shows up, they have access to many, many options they wouldn't have in the street. And, and then can get connected to care and other, uh, services that, uh, that are life changing.
3: The protesters say that the Harlem site, which, as the Post reported, is near a daycare, will draw about 6,000 drug addicts a year to a neighborhood that's overburdened with social service providers. Saturday's protests will circle two blocks around the clinic. that also includes the city's largest methadone treatment center, the M35 bus stop, that drops off residents of the homeless shelters on Wards Island and Boulevard, a homeless shelter for men with mental illness.
2: The city council set to overwhelmingly approve Mayor de Blasio's push to use zoning as racial justice tool in two of the Big Apple's poshest neighborhoods, Soho and Noho. The move would allow de Blasio to sign the measure into law before he and most of the council members who would approve it leave office at the end of the month, allowing a slew of housing developments in a district that just voted in a new representative who's opposed to the plan.
10: In Soho, Noho, you're talking about uh, an area that has very little affordable housing. We have an opportunity here to create affordable housing, uh, to bring to an area that has been upper income a greater mix of New Yorkers and to create more balance, which is something I believe in fundamentally. So this is rezoning that's been proposed to really create substantial community benefit. And there's a lot of support on the ground for the idea that there needs to be affordable housing in every community, including those that are upper income. They also need to have affordable housing in those communities, and that's what this will achieve.
2: Final approvals expected during the very last meeting of this city council next week. Now, most of its members are set to depart under the city's term limits law. It would mark the latest in a string of efforts made by de Blasio to pack the city with controversial measures before he leaves office. Those efforts include vaccine, a vaccine mandate for all private employers, legalized drug dens and getting rid of the city's gifted and talented school program.
3: I'd love to be able to live in Soho, but we'll see. Jacqueline Carl, weather, rain, snow, we'll see.
2: No, I don't see any of that right now. It starts out mostly sunny, but then clouds roll in, highs in the low 40s. Now, with the wind chill, though, it'll feel a lot colder, so you definitely want to dress warm. Tonight, mostly cloudy, lows in the mid-30s. Friday, mostly cloudy again, highs in the upper 40s. WABC Newstime, 558.
3: Jacqueline Carl, thank you very much. Well, here's some more news. CNN has come under pressure to fire Don Lemon after it was revealed that he contacted former Empire star Jesse Smollett to tell him that Chicago police didn't believe his story. Smollett testified in court Monday that the CNN anchor sent him a text message warning the 39-year-old actor that detectives didn't believe his tale of being beaten in the middle of the night by two white men wearing MAGA hats during a homophobic attack in 2019. Lemon didn't mention the revelation on his show Monday night and remained mum about the explosive claim during another segment about the trial on Tuesday. The calls to dismiss the host of CNN's 10 p.m. show Don Lemon Tonight come less than a week after CNN fired Chris Cuomo, another primetime host, for advising his brother, Andrew Cuomo, in his past sex scandal, crafting statements for him and using his journalistic sources to investigate some of his accusers. Well, I don't know about that. We'll see. The beautiful Sid Rosenberg, the wizened Bernard McGurk. Glad he's back. That's it for us tonight. My name is Frank Diaz.
2: I'm Jacqueline Carl. Thank you all for listening this early morning.